Welcome, everyone, to episode two of the Arizona Pulse podcast, a podcast in support of the online digital magazine, The Arizona Pulse, produced by the Arizona Medical Association. My name is Damian Johnson, and I'll be your host. For our second episode, I have the pleasure of sitting down with physician champion and educator, Dr. Jennifer Hartmark-Hill. During her interview, we discuss the changing landscape of physician education in Arizona and what to expect for the future of medical school training. Before we dive into our interview with Dr. R. Mark Hill, we'd like to mention that this episode is brought to you by the Arizona Medical Association, otherwise known as ARMA. ARMA works to empower physicians, move medicine, and shape care. Visit azmed.org to learn about membership opportunities for medical students and physicians, find resources for your practice in medicine, become involved in physician advocacy, and much more. And now, let's jump right into our interview with Dr. Jennifer Hart Markhill. All right, I have the pleasure of sitting down and talking with Dr. Hart Markhill. Dr. Hart Markhill, welcome to the show. Thank you, Damien. It's really a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, I'm excited to be able to have this conversation with you, you know, as a, an individual within ARMA that I um, managing the medical student section, you know, I get to work with students on a regular basis and they are a very passionate group of group of individuals. And so to be able to cover this topic that we're covering today on medical education and get to dive a little deeper into the topic, uh, it's definitely exciting. So let's let's start off with, uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce, give a formal introduction, provide us with a little bit of background. Sure, I'd be happy to. So I actually began my medical training at the University of Arizona College of Medicine in Tucson and have kept ties ever since. Um, I did my residency training in family medicine at the uh, Mayo Clinic Scottsdale. And concurrent with my chief resident year, I completed a faculty development fellowship, um, learning how to to just integrate uh, best practices of teaching and caught the bug. I've I've just been in love with medical education ever since. Um, Right out of residency. I, I did practice full-time and um, but was also able to had I selected my first job where I was able to direct a, a residency education rotation in young adult medicine uh, for a number of years, which I just found so rewarding that combination of seeing patients and um, teaching residents and, and doing some research. It was really a, just such a great balance. Um, continued to pursue opportunities to be involved in education and started volunteering in the evening clinics at the Wesley Clinic, which is a community health center, a federally qualified health center in downtown Phoenix, and got to precept medical students and just really loved, like you said, their enthusiasm, their passion, their altruism. Um, and just wanted wanted more. So applied for a position with the College of Medicine Phoenix. And I've been there in yeah, I've been with the College of Medicine Phoenix since 2011 and um, have just really enjoyed the and been grateful for the opportunities that I've had um, in teaching and leadership. So um, currently in my role, I direct the faculty development fellowship. And I direct a, um, a patient-centered care curriculum for first and second year medical students. And then I also um, am an uh, associate professor with the bioethics and medical humanism department. And I direct the narrative medicine and health humanities program. So just a lot of things that have really brought me joy. And I'm, I'm really grateful to be involved in. 
always amazes me to hear um, the, you know, the introduction, the background, especially from physician members of, you know, the Arizona Medical Association, as well as physicians in the community. It's, it's beyond impressive. And uh, uh, to hear all the things that you're involved with and get to be, get to be a part of. So you are a current member of the Arizona Medical Association. You sit on the board. Would you remind me of what you're in the audience, what your current position is uh, within the leadership here? Sure. So I'm currently the vice president of the Arizona Medical Association and chair of the public health committee. And I've had the pleasure of working with you in the medical student section, which is just a really amazing way to create a pathway for our medical students. And then we have a residency um, section to really start very early on in promoting professional identity formation that where these students see themselves as future physicians and patient advocates hand in hand. And I think that is so important to their future as leaders and patient advocates and um, members of the community. I think that physicians and all members of the healthcare team are in a really unique position to hear the stories of patients and their families and communities and vulnerable populations and speak to that firsthand with policymakers um, and legislators and you know a whole host of other decision makers because it really matters all of these decisions that are happening impact patient care they influence social determinants of health economic determinants of health, political determinants of health. And I think we really need a voice at the table. And I think we, we really need our, our medical students and residents to be trained up in that. One thing I enjoy telling the medical students too, is that you don't need to wait until you have an MD after your name or until after you're through your specialty or subspecialty training, because legislators really want to hear from students too. Students are like these pluripotent stem cells, like they haven't been differentiated yet. They're, they're the future and uh, legislators love hearing from them. So it's, it's really cool to see kind of that aha moment when, when I share that, because they think that, you know, they're, oh, someday, but really they have a voice now and they're involved in so many things, community service and um, patient care and research. And so, you know, they're looking forward to graduate medical education and most want to stay in the state of Arizona. They have so much rich perspective that needs to be shared and they have so much firsthand um, knowledge and, and can really attest to a number of things that either need continued support or, or need reform and change advocacy. So they're a, an incredibly important part uh, of the system. It's uh, interesting. Those, those last few points you brought up as well, that about how important it is for uh, medical students to get involved. And, you know, just recently within the last two years, I mean, we're seeing this year with GME funding and the budget talks and the conversations that are going on down at the legislature to last year with the, the passing of the funding for keeping medical students in state if they're, you know, and the scholarship opportunity that they're providing for them through the state universities. And I think that you, you hit a lot of great points that really highlights the level of importance on how you, there is no when to start other than get started, you know, get involved and when you're ready to do so, do so. I think that's really well said. And I'll just further emphasize that our medical students and residents are stakeholders in this whole process and they are our future. So 
anything we can do to support them. And I really respect what ARMA has done in terms of creating the student sections and the resident sections and, and the amount of support and the opportunities that students have too at the national level to go to the AMA and to, to be involved and to have a voice. So um, it's really exciting. And I hope to continue you know, sharing what ARMA is doing so that more people can get involved. Let's transition a little bit. I think we're going to have to cover this, the hot topic. How has medical education changed during the COVID-19 pandemic from your perspective? That's a great question. You know, I think that in parallel to patient care, we've really been catapulted really um, maybe 15 years in advance in terms of integration of telemedicine, telehealth technologies that some early adapters were already doing. I don't want to ignore that, you know, that a lot of folks deserve some appreciation and kudos for, for being trailblazers in those areas. And the pandemic really emphasized the need to integrate all of those things. And I think it's something that we're never going to be the same. We're never going to go back. And I think that's good. So it was really challenging to convert all of our wonderful in-person education and simulations and active learning and flipped classrooms and all those things that we've been doing to a virtual environment. And and temporarily, students were doing clinical cases in a a virtual environment and, you know, certainly not the ideal. But um, I think we learned so much. I think even though none of us would have chosen this, um, per se, I think the innovations that have come out of this and um, the new perspectives are really going to inform the way we go forward. And I think along with telemedicine or, or virtual education, all of the awareness of health inequities that that came forward during the time of the pandemic are things that have really, I think, strengthened our resolve to be champions of going forward, that the access to care and all of these different things that people have always needed or, or the ways that structural inequities and racism have, has affected health. I think all of that is being integrated into um, the future of medical education that we're going forward and we're, we're really learning from this. So there is a silver lining. And I think that future classes of, of students are going to be even better prepared because of it. Yeah, I think we could definitely uh, say that they are getting a firsthand experience on how to embrace change through going through this process, going through the pandemic and everything. So a lot of great points that you bring up there. And it kind of leads me into my next question of where do you see the future of physician training heading towards? That's a wonderful question. And I think the thing that comes to mind first And something that's really encouraging is a national and even global shift in medical education from more traditional time-based education. You you spend your four years in medical school or your three to seven years in residency, and then you move forward. A shift to from that, from the traditional time-based model to competency-based education, which is so important. So we have a sacred trust with our patients and their families to be competent and compassionate and communicative and professional and take into consideration systems-based approaches and and quality improvement and all these things. Those are all competencies that can be taught. And so the shifts that we're seeing in education really are 
preparing students for success in meeting those milestones and competencies before they progress to the next level. And I think that that is so important um, and can't be underemphasized. The other thing is when you move away from time-based curriculum to competency-based, you can get into some time-variable education. So we know we have a physician shortage. We know we have a primary care shortage. And so if we are, as educators, able to support our students to gain these competencies in a way that recognizes that they may come in with a lot of skills. Um, they may come in as former paramedics or ICU nurses or, you know, you name it, and they have tremendous insight. And so consistent with adult learning theory, let's, let's give them the skills they need to maximize the strengths and perspectives they already have, and then infuse some, some knowledge and skills that they need. And let's get them moving forward to the next stage of their training so that it doesn't have to be a set amount of time, but that they're competent and able to go out when they're ready to, to serve patients and to address some of those needs. Some great points that you bring up, especially with the transition, you know, and where, where you see that's going, you know, I, myself, and I, I don't, really dive too much into my, my background, but I spent some time as an EMT and a paramedic here in the Valley. And I saw, you know, throughout those eight to 10 years that I was out there that it was already kind of moving that way, you know, away from just handling the direct, you know, without the sympathy, without the empathy, without the bedside manners, without the, the conversations. And I think building in that emotional intelligence and that empathy for, for these students is, is crucial. To the future, I think that that's a that's a great a great outline of what what we can expect for the future of medicine. Well, Damien, I love that you brought up emotional intelligence, and I know our viewers can't see me, but hopefully they can see the they can hear the smile in my voice because I am just thrilled that you mentioned that, and that is something we have been very intentional to bring into medical education, and that's a a newer innovation. So our first year medical students start out, and they do strength-based assessments and, and take a strength-based leadership perspective. And then we go on to emotional intelligence training. And then from there build to, um, you know, along with the, the four domains of emotional intelligence, that self-awareness and self-management, but also awareness, social awareness and empathy, and then kind of management of relationships. We add on to that in their third and fourth year, some advocacy training and some other leadership skills that I think are so important and, and really haven't been part and parcel of traditional medical education, but we really need leaders of every level to have that, that awareness. And, and we know that while IQ is static, EQ can be developed and fostered and improved over time. And so that's really exciting. And that's, that's another thing that um, colleagues and I are involved in. And I'm just so happy for our students that they're getting this foundation because they're going to use it the rest of their careers. Yeah. I think not even just their careers, but the rest of their life, you can definitely benefit from that uh, emotional intelligence and having that training and that experience you know, Very with relationships so. and the patients, with their patients, but also their family members, as well as uh, all the different things that life throws at us through our stages that we go through. You're so, absolutely right. And that, that 
work-life integration, not balance, but integration, right? Integration is important for wellness. And that's another, of course, really important awareness um, in medical education. In addition to medical student and resident wellness, uh, which is so encouraging to see the initiatives in place, uh, faculty wellness, because uh, a lot of us didn't grow up in that era and didn't have that training, but we're the role models and we're the mentors. And if we don't embrace those things ourselves, we can perpetuate something called the hidden curriculum. So in contrast, we, you know, we teach the ideals and the values of the profession, but if students are thrown out into the quote unquote real world where they don't see that, well, guess which one wins? That's the hidden curriculum. So we're really trying to be aware of that too, and have a a broader reach than, than just our trainees, but ourselves. That's very interesting. I, I like that concept of hidden curriculum and something to be aware of. So I'd like to transition a little bit, get to know Dr. Hartmark Hill a little more to close out our interview. You wear many hats, you're involved in very many different things. So when you're not teaching, when you're not involved in your leadership positions with the various organizations, what does Dr. Hartmark Hill like to do with her free time? Oh, goodness. Well, when I'm not thinking about work, which I love and doesn't feel like work, I... um really enjoy a number of things. So gardening, I have three dogs, I have two cats, I joke that that's a full house. I'm married to a a wonderful man. Um, Scott is um, an attorney. And so it's kind of cool to see things like not medicine and science related. He and I have been married for going on 22 years in June. We love hiking. We're both originally from Minnesota. We love to travel. So in terms of that work-life integration, I think that's so important. And yeah, lots of things that, um, you know, love reading and um, movies, but I, I would say that plants and pets are my, my therapy too. So um, yeah, lots of stuff to, to enjoy. Well, Dr. Hartmark Hill, I cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down with us, to have this conversation, to cover, as we saw, you know, some very important topics regarding the medical education, the future of it, and what individuals can look for, how they can get involved. Thank you for participating in our podcast interview today, and I, I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you, and I've really enjoyed speaking with you. As always, thanks so much. Take care. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Episode 2 of the Arizona Pulse Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. We'd like to quickly remind you that this podcast was brought to you by the Arizona Medical Association. Visit azmed.org to learn more. Also, be sure to check out our online magazine, The Arizona Pulse, by visiting azpulse.org. Here you will find articles, podcast episodes, and information on the pulse of Arizona's healthcare industry. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast for alerts on future episodes, share this episode with a colleague, and show your support on social media. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Arizona Pulse. We'll catch you on the next episode. Stay safe and be well.